Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today. Because, oh. you know, Dylan, hmm. um, I feel like, you know, we're, we're back talking Joe Abercrombie, which is great. And yes. the reason we're back is because I feel like we may have done Red Country a little dirty. Ooh, well, we did get some uh, fan feedback <laughs> of that nature. Uh, <laughs> I, and, you know, I, I remember, too, at the end of our Red Country episode, it's like we were doing it for like, I don't know, hour, 20 minutes, hour and a half. And yeah. I was like... It still felt, uh, I remember bringing up, I was like, did we talk about it enough here? And I'm like, yeah, we kind of were like, well, what, uh, you know, we yeah, gave it an hour, NBA, 20, hour, like, 30. We but, talked about like the yeah. main things, but there's so many other things yeah. that we could talk about. So we're back. This is a part two. We are going to wrap yes. up our conversation on Red Country, make sure we cover everything that has happened in this book and share our thoughts on it. And Dylan, you want to give a quick, quick spoiler warning before I get into what we're covering today in Red Country? Yes, so we'll be covering the first law world up through Red Country. So if you don't want the first law original trilogy spoiled for you, you don't want Best Served Cold spoiled for you, you don't want the Euros spoiled for you, and you don't want Red Country spoiled for you, then now is a good time to turn this down in your headphones because we're going to have a no-holds-barred conversation about Red Country, and that, that will include these earlier books in the universe. Yes, that is well said. And today, you know, last time we talked about Lamb, Shy, Temple, and Casca mainly, their full mm-hmm. character arc. So if, you're more, if you haven't listened to our first Red Country ep- episode, I recommend going back and listening to that because that is where we will be talking yeah. mostly about them. Today, we won't be talking about them as much so that we can make room for some of these other characters and plot moments that have happened right. in the story. So let's not delay any longer, Dylan. I guess when it comes to the POV characters, the only ones that we really left out, and I mean left out, we did talk about them a little bit, would be the the, the poor children that were oh. abducted, I know, at Ro, uh, who is the sister of Shy. Yeah. And I did mention... At the end, I was like, oh, man, I wanted to talk about Ro, and we never made it. So why don't we start there, and then we'll go back through the plot and pick up everyone else. But she is the last POV character that we have to address, I believe, if my notes are accurate. And what's interesting to me about Ro is you never quite know if this is Stockholm Syndrome in her case, because mm. she gets kidnapped by the ghost, which is obviously a bad thing. But by the end of the book, she actually feels like she has a place where she belongs, and she has is a it father. By the ghosts, Charles, or is it? It's by like. Uh, oh, did I did get co- it wrong? Yeah, I think it. She gets kidnapped by the dragon um, people. The dragon people. Well, uh, yeah. Well, she, she gets kidnapped and delivered to the dragon people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, oh, that's yeah. true. Yes. So it was like a. I'm saying, yeah. You're right. It was like a band of people that were working for the dragon people. And that's yeah. like a whole plot in this book that we also didn't address last time was the dragon yeah. people. Are Cantless using their... was who kidnapped her. Yes. Cantless and his crew. So. Yes. Thank you yeah. for that correction. And so exactly correct. And what's interesting is by the time Ro makes it to the dragon people, she starts yes. to find like a sense of belonging and she kind of gets put under the wing of Wordenor, I hope I'm saying that correctly, yeah. who is the leader of the dragon people, and he's like 
finding a place for her and explaining like how the dragon people work and what she's now a part of and how he'll protect her and all these other things and she kind of feels this thing of belonging and to me the whole time and Dylan I guess I want to hear your thoughts on this is like is this Stockholm syndrome or is this another Joe Abercrombie irony where she's being saved from a situation where she may even be better off yeah I think it's it's definitely one of these Joe Abercrombie gray like gray moments if that makes sense like it's not black Mm -hmm. or white I think that the dragon people sincerely believe they are doing what's best. Like they're taking people from this like meaningless red country world, mm-hmm. um, which is like that. That's like quote we read a little while back, like uh, in the in the first episode. It's like the world is kind of messed up out there, and the dragon people are sincerely. It seems like trying to like bring these children into their. It's been, like seems like basically a cult, and they are trying to do what's best for these kids though i think like and we do see that when weirdener sacrifices himself for roe like he does care that deeply so i think like is it stockholm syndrome is not i mean uh uh, my psych perspective is kind of like stockholm syndrome is a pop psych thing it's a real like thing that happens to people but it's not like in the in the 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 dsm which is the thing we use to diagnose in in psychology or anything like that mm-hmm. uh, but is it, it so I, I don't know i don't get too into this like is it stockholm syndrome is it not like that's more of an I, idea uh that but i think what it is is roe is a child and ch- and children want attention they want people to show them kindness show them that they care and like it's i i don't think it's a good idea to actually have people kidnap children and take them from their homes obviously but i think once she's there she is with someone with weirdener who genuinely cares for her enough to even sacrifice his own life and shows her that attention that she is looking for and i think that connection whether it's built on like you know i think it's just a messed up thing to kidnap obviously it might Mm. be built on those like weird messed up foundations but their connection as individuals i would say is very true and and genuine and right and it's interesting that like once she's quote rescued saved and i put that in quotes because they're you know on their way back home and she's trying to escape multiple times she's not happy to see lamb or shy and eventually she's you feel like there's some hope for her and she starts to come around so it almost ends on this hopeful note that we're talking about with Red Country, like, hey, maybe she does, like, she will, you know, learn to, like, be happy with her family and there and there's hope for them as a family. But I do enjoy these moments and it's very Abercrombian of like, oh, I rescued you, <laughs> which is that yeah. good deed being punished by she's ungrateful and and she doesn't want to be there. Right. I think the hardest part for Roe is the changes, the transitions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once she gets settled, like she's been settled in her life with Lamb and Shy and stuff, and then she's taken from that. And that's, you know, it's a kid getting kidnapped. So it's mm-hmm. all over the place and she's miserable. And, and uh, you know, the people that take her are really not the best people. They're really right. messed up people. And there are some moments even where it's implied some folks are considering sexually assaulting her. It doesn't happen, mm-hmm. uh, luckily. Uh, like, uh, um, But there's moments like that, and she's just scared in the changes. But when she's with someone who's showing her care, she then she feels, like, secure. And what happened was when Lamb came uh, back, and obviously him trying to kill her doesn't help, uh, she again starts to feel like she's taken away from a home and it's those transitions that are really scary i think for a child so ro i i do have hope for her now because she is at home again with shy and temple who are two in my opinion very well-meaning well-intentioned people who i think are equipped to basically be parental figures for her Mm -hmm. and even though you know shy's her sister and then Lamb, the person who almost killed her and killed the person that she was starting to see as her father, like, is out of the picture. So I actually think he kind of, like, I don't think Roe was ever going to recover from, 
like I don't think she could ever forgive Lamb, mm-hmm. but Lamb's out of there. Right. So I actually think she is well equipped to like make some sort of meaning out of this and have a life, hopefully, of the best you can make in a Joe Abercrombie world. So I, I also share that hope for Roe. Very well said. Yeah, I share that hope for Roe as well. And I think that's kind of a standout thing about Red Country is it does end on a more explicitly hopeful note than most of Abercrombie's works. So he was able to have that kind of no good deed does unpunished, bitter irony kind yeah. of thing with her arc. But to end it hopefully, you know, it, it's nice. And that's a that's a standout moment for us. So now that we have done justice to Roe, another character that I wanted to make sure we talked about a little bit more was Dab Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> The phrase like stab sweet erasure, I think, was used in a comment that we <laughs> And they're seen, not wrong. Which is very funny. <laughs> they're not wrong. We basically did we I don't know if we even we, we probably offhandedly we mentioned, mentioned him. And him. he's a very interesting, cool character with an like this arc surrounding this uh, I guess it's when you are more myth than man, which is yes. something we sometimes say about quoth in the King Sometimes Killer we say it about like, lands. You know. We do, yes. It's like <laughs> the idea and the legend that you carry around with you is so much bigger than who you are as a person mm-hmm. that it's like you're walking in your own shadow almost. Yes. Like mm-hmm. you – how do you live up to this idea people have of you? And it's a very – I think it is the most specific and like well-explored ex- – well-explored exploration? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well-explored exploration of this uh, concept – in all of Abercrombie's work to this point to like actually dive in with a character and make that their main arc. Like mm-hmm. how do you live? I, Cause they, yeah, you're right. Logan, it's like a part of the arc, but I, it's um, not the main, the right. number one focus, I would say it's right. the number one focus of Dab Sweet's arc. Right. If for Logan, it's almost like an excuse, you know, it's like, well, I got more scores yes. to settle, but for, for uh, Dab Sweet, it's more of a actual, central part of his art and the way he was described wearing like the raccoon hat and stuff like that i i was picturing like a davy crockett type character for those who aren't maybe as fully aware davy crockett is an actual wikipedia even calls him an american folk hero he was a frontiersman a soldier and eventually a politician but he in he has this like pop culture story around him as the king of the wild frontier which brings me back to like what we think of Dab Sweet and like everyone thinks of him as a hero as well shy actually even negotiates like the use of his likeness to sponsor like this bridge yeah. which is which is also like a sign of the changing times right which is another theme of this book is like the world is changing and now intellectual property and sponsorships are becoming more of a yeah. of a thing so it's interesting to see that take place but the use of like a Davy Crockett inspiration for this character is rather interesting because it is this like new frontier hero and there is something romantic about that. And of course, Abercrombie fashion, he <laughs> juxtaposes that against some of the more unsavory pieces of Dab Sweet's character. He makes some moves that at the beginning are almost like... Uh, for lack of a better word here, they're like not degenerative behavior, but he is like <laughs> taking advantage of people and he's making yeah. arrangements with ghosts to rob the people that have paid him to lead them safely to make to get them robbed and split the profits with the ghosts, which is like it, it, to me, that was like almost like a shocking moment. I'm like, am I reading this correctly? <laughs> that, that this is what he's doing. I, I don't know. I was kind of surprised by those moments. <laughs> Yeah, there's a stuff with Sang Sangeed or Sangeed, whatever yeah. his name, right? Like, and the yeah, I think Dab, you don't last this long out on the frontier without a little bit of a morally gray streak, and you basically don't exist in a Joe Abercrombie novel without a little bit of a morally right. gray streak. Right. So, uh, I mean, it's surprising when you think of him as this like big hero, but I guess that's part of the the point where it's like, well. You can think all these stories about Dab Sweet, and they're they're based on a true story. It's kind of that thing, like when you see a movie, and you see at the beginning opening credits, it'll say "based on a true story," and 
you think, well, what does that even mean? How, like, how how much of this is true? And that's basically Dab Sweet, who his reputation for being an incredible do-gooder at the same time as being a legendary hero. It's just no one's actually like that. So when he starts having these moments you describe, yeah, it can be surprising at first, but then in classic Abercrombie fashion, it's more that people weren't letting the truth get in the way of a good story when it comes to Dab Sweet. Right, right. And I can just picture, you know, I've seen like interviews with Abercrombie and he's done like bookshelf tours and things like that. He has a lot Mm. of history books in his collection. And westerns. And westerns as well. So I can just picture him like reading a story about Davy Crockett and in his head being like, this is way too romantic (laughs) of a caricature for an actual person who lived. (laughs) And spun spun the story in his head. (laughs) Gotcha. So you're basically saying... Saying that what what Abercrombie made Baez into for Gandalf yeah. is what he made uh, Dab Sweet into for Davy Crockett. Pretty like much, this, right? In reality, yeah. In reality, this character would not be able to be what everyone is yeah, saying about them. Abuse his position. So he yes. has faults, but you know, at the end of the day, he does come through for the team. You know, he does he lead does. that like herd of horses. He stampedes the horses to help uh, Shy escape uh, with with the loot. So that was a, you know, a fun little redemption moment for him. And again, we come back to this hopeful nature of this story, which is that, yeah, he was going to rob a few people, but I don't think he intended anyone to get murdered and killed, which is what happened a lot on that yeah. on that expedition. So I think he was genuinely shocked and upset by when... Uh, the ghosts killed some of their men and then lamb killed their leaders. It's like, he was like, what is going on? This is not how we do things out here. You know? So I can see that. Yeah. He was abusing his position, but he was just trying to get a little extra coin. You know, he wasn't trying to like have people get killed or murdered or anything. So you feel it doesn't make it right, but it's that interesting glimmer into his character that I, I think makes him one of these like fan favorites where it's like this is erasure of his existence. Yes. So, just well, wanted we don't... to <laughs> Yeah. But you know, we had so much to say about Lamb that it, it it he kind of fell to the wayside a bit in the first episode. But now here we are having a full yeah. discussion on good old Dab Sweets. And I think we just keep going like go through some plot moments that we may have uh, rushed over and he'll come back into the conversation as we hit some of these plot points Can unless I, there's something you want to bring up i just want to talk about the end of his arc sure the the character arc for him which is this whole time he has been trying to underplay his legacy or complaining about how he can't be who he's supposed to be in right. all of these legends and he's always trying to say oh yeah sure i did kill a bear but it was a small bear and <laughs> it's it is interesting from this almost imposter syndrome perspective yeah. right because it, at a certain point then he's going the truth is somewhere in the middle I think, between what Dab Sweet thinks of himself when he's underplaying himself. It's like that's imposter syndrome. And then these the the biography that had already been written about him, the life of Dab Sweet, was supposed to be this full of fantasy and full of Davy Crockett type folklore things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's if we do step back and we do think about the facts of the situation, it's like Dab, you did kill a bear. Yeah. You freaking killed a bear. Like, yes, it wasn't with your 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 hands, which is what yeah. the story starts to say. It wasn't three bears or whatever, which is what other people will start to say. It wasn't to save a princess or not that I think that's necessarily what they say, but I think they do have like to save a woman or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it wasn't all those things, but like you are a very impressive person, Dad. You killed a like you did kill a bear, and not a lot of people can say that. So I guess it's just interesting to think of Dab Sweet's arc through this imposter syndrome perspective, especially when at the end of it, he, it ends with this, <laughs> Sorbrek is getting interested in him, and he's like, I want to help you write the honest story of who you are, because that life of Dab Sweet th- biography is overblown, and what Dab says to him is, 
Which makes me wonder, have you heard of the time I killed a great bear with naught but these two hands? And it's like, <laughs> okay, it's interesting that when push comes to shove and he gets a chance to tell his honest story, he's still, he's still building himself up some. So I guess that comes from some sort of insecurity that he thinks the true, if the true story gets out there, it would be like people wouldn't respect him as much and he does want that. But it's right. like, I don't know, for someone who's always trying to tell his truth, then he gets the chance and he still lies a little bit. Not yeah. not as much as he could have, but a little bit. So it's like, right. I don't know. I've just always loved that. It's like this insecurity that Dabson right. clearly feels in this imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's also interesting to think about you have Swarbrick, right, who was writing Casca's story and then murdered Casca and then decided he was going to yeah. write uh, Dab sweet story so it's yeah. an interesting transition of like Casca was the old famous hero of legend mm. of fortune and now I want to write uh, quote absolutely honest story of the taming and settlement <laughs> of the far country <laughs> through Dab sweet so the like this idea that the book deal kind of changed and the character of interest kind of changed from a Casca character to a Dab Sweet character is an interesting one because Dab Sweet in the end did have some redemptive moments and he, he has some elements of humility about him that Casca did not have and Casca throughout this whole book is obviously a sign <laughs> of like the changing times he's like people like me yeah. are like from an older age a different world and the world's changing and yeah. he could recognize that Casca yesterday's man yeah. yesterday's man was the phrase which right. is a really interesting one right yeah. so it's interesting now that as the times are changing so was the like narrative in which Swarbrick is choosing to focus on granted he did kill the other guy he was going to write a story on but uh, still <laughs> it's um it was just interesting that Swarbrick made that change and that dab sweet actually becomes the person he like has a book deal with yeah yeah i think that dab sweet it, it's in, it's almost makes me think of this Batman type stuff and I don't know if this is I won't reveal plot points or anything but this kind of like hero we need versus hero we deserve type thing yeah people uh, right and I, 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 a lot of people probably seen those Batman Christopher Nolan movies but I just won't spoil what that address is but for those who have this idea of people need some sort of folklore hero to believe in, even if they're not actually that person. And if you are Dab Sweet and Sorbrek, two people who can kind of, well, Sorbrek's getting bamboozled, I guess. He wants the true story and Dab's not giving it to him. But I guess if you are Dab, there's almost a redemption in letting people have that story about you that inspires them. Instead Mm -hmm. of making it about you needing to be seen and you needing your honest story to be told. It's like, if that if that's like stretch of the truth inspires other people to be better and inspires other people to uh, try to be like the idea of you, I guess, like the idea that you are this amazing do-gooder, like letting them have that might actually be the best you can do for the world. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an, I don't know if he was thinking about all of that when he decided to give a little <laughs> bit of a lie there, but I think it's, it's a, just an interesting thing to, consider that letting people have that image of you that isn't entirely honest might be the better thing for the world at large agreed completely yeah it's uh yeah it's it's one of these plot points that i think is super interesting and and it shows the evolution of abercrombie's writing and the themes that he's exploring in the first law so it's really interesting like when we released the first episode i had mentioned in like my like Twitter announcement that it was it's been so fascinating to watch Abercrombie's themes that he's exploring in the first log change mm-hmm. and develop over time and I feel yeah. like we really start to see some new ideas coming into the mix and new priorities new focuses with Abercrombie's themes in in this book and it's these kind For of sure. things that I find to be super fascinating so um, yeah a few other plot points that I wanted to make sure we discussed. There's the whole element of when they first enter Crease, and I thought Crease was an interesting <laughs> place. We did briefly mention the mayor, who you know, we suspect is Carla Dan Eider. Is that actually confirmed? No, th- it's not confirmed, but no, but it's heavily right. implied. And right. I think, yeah, I think it's true, but it's one of those Abercrombie things that he 
purposefully won't say it, right, but right. it'll give you everything but and right, say right. like this is this is for the close readers who've <laughs> yeah. read all the original stuff. Right. Then you and can it, figure yeah. it out and be happy. Like <laughs> Lamb even. Pepper, Lamb right. is yeah. Logan, but <laughs> literally there's it's never explicitly said that Lamb is Logan. It's more yeah. obvious than Carlot as the mayor, but like Right, right. Way yeah, more obvious, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and I thought that was interesting. Um, my ears perked up the way Costco reacted to the mayor. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is a character yeah. that we should know. Um, so that was fascinating. Papa Ring, I thought was an interesting character. And this, I thought so too. You get this, you get this like shanty town, kind of this boom town, I guess you'd call it, that was common in the West where it was like as as people were coming through, they'd set up a town and then abandoned it. And like civilization hadn't quite reached them yet. So it's interesting to see the power struggle on, you know, either side of this, of the street here of this little town. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed uh, was uh, <laughs> Papa Ring and Glamour Golden versus yeah. the Mayor and Lamb. This was such a fun fight. And to have Glamour Golden is <laughs> interesting. And the fight where he's starting to, like, Golden is starting to realize who he's fighting. You know, the, it, like, oh, takes yeah. his perspective, his POV, and he's fighting. And all of a sudden, he sees, like, a change in Lamb. And then he's like, wait, count the fingers. He's like, oh, God. And then. Yeah. Yeah. Like fades to black. He's like looking and then at it's him like, through the fingers. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it fades to black, and the next scene, it's like, nice job killing that guy. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, well, he destroyed. It was almost Bethod like what yeah. he did to like Lamb's got a pattern, uh, yes. and we know that his signature like, moves, his finishes, yes, <laughs> and he, yeah, he definitely. It's a very interesting fight, and that moment is, uh, yeah, you just imagine being Glamour Golden, and we know everything that's said about the Bloody Nine, and it's once the Bloody Nine himself comes out, it's all true. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Glamour looks at me and is like, oh no, now my time is up, because there's always someone like stronger, bigger, better out there, and no- unless you're the Bloody Nine himself, basically. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's this we're in Glamma's perspective, right? We get mm. like a Glamma golden perspective, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, yes. It's been a few weeks, but uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, just imagining what it's like to be Glamma looking at his death in front of him in the form of the Bloody Nine is intense. And it's also, yeah, it's also really cool to see this kind of, I think this is the line that gets brought up a lot of times in the original trilogy is like the seeds of the past bear fruit in the present mm-hmm. and it's glamour golden is only there because of the stuff that calder and folks like got going with their little conspiracies <laughs> at the end of the heroes so it's another moment of like oh glamour had his life torn apart by calder and all of those i'm sure uh partially uh bias influenced things going on over there and now he's here and now we get this moment that we would never be able to have otherwise be <laughs> only because calder ruined uh, glamma's life and <laughs> it, yeah and it's like seeing glamma become this like going from the golden haired heroic in his head figure to this re- reluctant resigned to his fate of being someone who actually doesn't like fighting but has to almost like logan and and shivers have dealt with is is really interesting and lastly something that's really interesting is this i feel like papa ring and glamour golden were the better people not that they're heroes over there but they were the better people than the mayor and lamb like papa ring's actually honest if nothing else and that means to i don't know that's for me like a very he is a gangster his word means something yeah but his word yeah well his the carlot or the mayor is savage she freaking hanged him and the and papa rings would not have done that to the mayor i think like papa ring when we get his perspective the one thing he does is keep his word Mm -hmm. and he wasn't and the mayor doesn't do that the mayor's savage and glamour honest i don't know glamour it's hard to say who's a better person between Glamour and Lamb, but Glamour was like, I'm done with this. I'm done fighting. Who knows if that would stick? Right. Because we've seen, we've heard right. that story before. Yeah, exactly. But, and if he did yeah. show mercy, he would have just been taken advantage of, you know? So it's like, right. 
either way, you know, he was just not a man for this world. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was interesting how it's like, again, it's the union and the empire, like at odds with each other and a much smaller scale here. Uh, because they're both, you know, the mayor's backed by the union kind of, and then Papa Ring is backed by the empire. So it's again, this struggle still is going on in the first law world. And now it's like reaching mm. into the frontier. So yeah, it's really just wanted to make sure Nowhere we brought safe. up those points. Nowhere safe. And you do kind of feel um, sad for Papa Ring. Petty feud. Yeah. That Between like. bias and cool. <laughs> which I love. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's pettiness. It kind of takes a little bit more of a backseat in this book. It's not yeah. as direct, but it's still a presence. It's still seeping in a little bit. You know, oh, yeah. its influence is still here. A bank shows up at the end. Yes, the bank the, does arrive. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Valent and Bulk. Those wow. definitely two different people and not both biased, right, Charles? <laughs> yes, most definitely, right? Absolutely. So the other moment that happens in this that I want to make sure we discuss is like the attack on the dragon people, right? Because mm. we have this whole thing with Casca, you know, like Lamb kills Gold and all these things. That's dis- That's settled. And they eventually they figure out that it was the dragon people who were funding these mercenaries to like abduct children to recruit for the dragon Mm -hmm. people. Right. That was part of it. So they decide that they're going to go and Casca sniffing an opportunity decides he's going to go as well. And it's this really interesting thing. Right. Because it develops with we go to the dragon people and they're having this like. It feels like a tribe meeting almost where they're all sitting around and talking and it's like, look, we're not confrontational people. We're very isolated. We're trying to keep ourselves secret. And then you have Wardener being like, we have to be ready. We have to do all these things. And then you have Casca roll up with cannons and just eviscerate them. (laughs) Absolutely eviscerate. And again, one of the themes of this book is the changing of the times. And Abercrombie is developing his entire fantasy world to be a Western one to eventually be in like an industrial one. So this is, again, one of those signs of the time. And I feel like the ghosts is that you know, that last bit of hanging on of like the old magic in the world. And it's just getting absolutely eviscerated by cannons. Yes, that's well said, Charles. And it goes well with the Mark Twain quote that Joe Abercrombie has at the Mm. start of, uh, I guess this is section four or whatever, called Dragons. Mm -hmm. And the quote from Mark Twain is, there are many humorous things in the world, among them the white man's notion that he is less savage than the other savages. And it's very, it's very Twain, of course, but it's also very Abercrombie and to just be like, all people kind of suck. Like, you just have to assume that people in general, like, you know, there's some good eggs or whatever, and everyone's trying their best. But at the end of the day, whatever like society or culture you try to form, people are people. And the things that are tough about that fact like the the bad qualities about people are going to show up Mm -hmm. and it's kind of this it's easy to the way the narrative is written it's easy to place the dragon people as these evil people who are abducting folks but then you get this moment that you're talking about where it's like well the like quote unquote good guys like the people (laughs) coming to save the children are using cannons and eviscerating and murdering and like (laughs) these other and you get those point of views of the dragon people and in their heads like everyone else and this Abercrombie has been doing this a lot with point of views and we'll get into more when we do that like point of view episode down the line on Abercrombie's work Mm -hmm. like uh, the everyone is telling themselves a story where they're the hero Mm -hmm. like they're the hero of their own story Mm -hmm. and we get that from this jumping of point of views in the dragon people meeting Mm -hmm. and we get this moment where it's like let's save children Oh, but we need cannons. Like, we need to murder everyone to, in right. order to do that. Mm. And yeah, everyone's got those basic It's also It's juxtaposed no really well, right? You have Casca's brazen, like, I will use cannons to eviscerate these people and yes. steal all this gold against the <laughs> dragon people who have a life 
like a long history, tradition, culture mm-hmm. rooted in like magic. There's an actual dragon that is dormant. Well, metal or, dragon. Yeah. It's a it's from the master maker. Right, from the uh, master maker, right. right. Yeah. But it's mysterious, right? And then the master maker yes. was capable of, of doing some pretty fantastical things, right? So it's right. this it is magic. magic thing yeah. and that's based on centuries of tradition and this whole way of life that just immediately gets barreled over. And I have a good quote as well. I believe it's Casca talking to Wardenor, and Dylan, feel free to interrupt me to correct me. But this is, again, this idea of the changing of the times, and I believe it happens. Like, he uses the cannons to eviscerate them, and then Casca's like, you know, right before... Or maybe it's not Wardenor. I can't remember. But it's somewhere along the dragon people. And uh, he says... It's a bit of a long quote, so bear with me, and then Dylan, feel free to interrupt me. But Casca smiled up at the dragon, hands on his hips. It's certainly Mm. a remarkable curiosity, a magnificent relic, but against what is already boiling across the plains, the legion of the dumb, the merchants and farmers and makers of trifles and filers of papers, the infinite tide of greedy little people, he waved his hat towards the dragon. Such things as this are worthless as a cow against a swarm of ants. There will be no Mm. place in the world to come for the magical the mysterious the strange they will come to your sacred places and build tailor shops a dry goods emporia and lawyers offices they will make of them bland copies of everywhere else the old mercenary scratched thoughtfully at his rashy neck you can wish it were not so i wish it were not so but it is so i tire of lost causes the time of men like me is passing the time of men like you he wiped Mm. a little blood from under his fingernails so so long past, it might as well have never been. <laughs> Beautiful quote, Charles. Thank you for grabbing that one. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. And I think it's, yeah, it is such a direct, like a quote that such so directly just touches on the themes of Red Country with its changing times mm-hmm. and also mirror. Uh, they're a microcosm of the Abercrombie like way of writing kind of it's like it, the story in here where the times are changing and these tailor shops are going to come and the time of magic and stuff is in the past mm-hmm. it's also abercrombie is moving his world forward toward mm-hmm. this more industrial revolution type stuff and you're going to see magic fade we've, we've been hearing that since the first trilogy right right like uh, bias has been saying the time of magic is kind of Uh, moving away here the spirits that logan was talking to they were like fading all this magic has been going away and red country is this big point where now that's become the themes and and that's a beautiful quote from casca to werdener about like hey you're done dude you're so done i'm probably done really soon (laughs) like and it's kind of the way I think about it from the Abercrombie perspective is Abercrombie is like, I'm kind of done with this part of the thing. Like this part where it's about dragons and it's about oh, uh, these moments of, I guess, uh, mysticism and things like that. Abercrombie wants to move toward this more industrial stuff. And, mm-hmm. and Casca, like we've said, is this kind of voice of abercrombie i think it's like abercrombie cynicism in a lot of ways is what right. uh, casca comes through as and and then yeah and then the casca death like we talked about is this moment of uh the casca death at the hands of a writer is this moment of okay let's like let's move forward here that time's done so uh yeah it's a beautiful beautiful quote and it is to wear dinner um when they're looking at that dragon and right it, and it's this idea of holding on to this way of life when the world has already moved past you you know it's 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 like you need to in like face the reality of life it's like the, like yeah I'm, there's so many romantic things about magic and about tradition and things like that but yeah. it's like society is going to creep forward and it is selfish and you have to be able to roll with it and I believe there's one more Costco quote I want to share that delivers on one of these other Do things it. you were talking about, where he's like, perhaps when you have faced as many disappointments and suffered as mm-hmm. many betrayals as I, you will see it. There is no principle beyond the selfish, Inquisitor, and men are animals. Yeah. Conscience is a burden we choose to bear. Morality is the lie we tell ourselves to make its bearing easier. There have been many times in my life when I have wished it was not so, but it is so. 
And that weighs extra heavy when you know Casca's story and things like right. Best Served Cold, where he went through those portrayals with um, Mons Mercato and things like that and how heartbroken he was over that. And he's going over it again with Temple. So it's like compounded. And he's also disappointed his fair share of people in his life as well. So like most of all himself, Charles, most of all himself. (laughs) So again, I feel like this is the old voice of Abercrombie coming Mm -hmm. through, heralding the change of the times. But it leaves out the hopeful, which is why Casca gets murdered by a writer at the end. So it's not like... I don't think this is Abercrombie's full belief and the full theme that he's conveying, mm-hmm. but I believe it's like this is what the grim dark side would fully embrace, and yes. now that person's getting killed, and we're moving on, yeah. right? So it's really interesting to have this come in because it parallels really nicely with like the unstoppable force that is the modern age destroying all of this beauty and magic in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the sake of these boom towns and lawyers' offices and things like that. It's selfish in a way, which is what this quote is getting at. But it's also this idea that we talked about with Lamb all the time. It's like, and like, like you were saying, Dylan, everyone's the hero of their own story. Conscience is a burden we choose to bear. Morality is the lie we tell ourselves to make its bearing easier. And that to me is like a foundation of grim, dark novels, right? (laughs) Yeah. Just uh, moral relativism, I think, mm-hmm. is what that would be. Like, uh, the, it's all subjective. There is no objective morality. Like, this is objectively meaningless, and we have to figure out what to do with that fact. Like, in an objectively meaningless world, how do we find subjective meaning or morality? And that's Casca has fully embraced, embraced that nihilistic view of the world. And Abercrombie, in his writing, at least at this point, does seem to be saying that's not all there is. Maybe there's something more. And I, yeah, I, you know, we'll all we'll miss Casca as a character because, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of why he's hard to let go, right? right? Because it's hard to let that cynicism go because there's like a twisted, beautiful humor and such like. Those quotes, Charles, that you're reading yeah. are so poignant and like <laughs> clever and well written. And for Abercrombie to say goodbye to a character that has that voice, and for us to say goodbye to a character that has that charisma and voice and all this stuff, it's hard. Yeah. But to move on toward a brighter tomorrow of yes. not being entirely grimdark, Casca had to go with everything yeah. he's been through. Yeah. So. It's time, and I and th- we're we'll we'll miss you, Casca. Yes. We'll miss you so much. Yes. Uh, we'll always love you on our rereads. Yes, but the world you are yesterday's man, and yes. the world's ready to move on and yes. toward hopefully a brighter tomorrow. Yes, exactly, and it's a sign of the ever complexity like developing in Abercrombie's themes too. Yeah, so I'm super excited for that. There's one last story out story like plot that I want to make sure we talk about so that we can officially say we've done it all. And that is after Lamb fights Vordenor, right? And he Vordenor sacrifices himself to protect Roe from Lamb, which we talked about in our first episode, which we thought was super fascinating. Uh, we have the fallout of that. Cantless is hanged and Savian is revealed yeah. to be a rebel and is arrested. And then the like shy mm. and the gang leave and they're like, okay, well, that sucks for him. <laughs> and then they start to slowly go back and be like, we can't just leave Savian to his fate. And it's Lamb mm-hmm. that goes first, I believe, because Lamb can't yeah. say no to a good fight. And eventually oh. Shy is like... <laughs> That's a savage inter- <laughs> Okay, I just want to say, Charles, I know you're, you're doing your thing. You're doing great. I just yeah. want to say, because I we got a... We got a DM on our Insta account that's like, you guys will not give my boy Logan a break. And it's like, <laughs> we do, I will say at this point, to just say it's all about, I, I, I'm just like trying to think about uh, what that listener is going to think of you <laughs> saying that. So I'm like, uh, to say it's all about that Logan wants to fight and not at all about like some sense of obligation and knowing something to uh, save you. And I think we, we got to give Logan a 
teensy. You know, I'm the first one to jump down Logan's throat too, but I'm just thinking about like the listeners can be here and that like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, um, <laughs> if you want to listen to like lamb love, there's plenty of it out there in the world. You know, I feel like we're addressing this thing that no one's acknowledging, which is like, hey, there's this whole point that Abercrombie's trying to make about lamb yes. that I agree that is I feel like because it's not explicitly mentioned, although it's never been more explicitly mentioned than in this book, but um it, it, it kind of, and we love Lamb so much as a character, especially a character. in the first Law trilogy, that it can be easy to overlook these things. So that's all. And yes, thank you for acknowledging yeah. that, Dylan. That's very oh, true. Oh, for sure. So we, we, we get hard on him, especially because we feel this need to be like... Why is no one talking about this? But we do know there's good. Yes, in because Lamb Abercrombie is developing the themes yes. of his books. He's getting more and more complex and nuanced and moving more and more away from just textbook grimdark. So we feel obligated to yes. bring up these less popular stories, like the first laws, like the one that everyone has read. And like it gets exponentially less readers as you go into these books. So it's like this is my first time reading this book as well even yeah. so it's like hey th- these themes are developing and changing and a lot yeah. has happened with Abercrombie's writing style and themes since the early 2000s when these books were being published so it's like yeah. it's, it's just fascinating so yeah we're a little hard on them but that's true thank you for clarifying <laughs> and then we do the opposite with Giselle yeah. Like, right, we have that Giselle yeah, episode way true. back that was yeah. like, oh, like you. No one knows that Giselle's actually a, a much more likable person underneath. Well, I would say it's tragic like, that's a complexity. Person, you know, of, yeah, it's it. And likable, more likable than the. Don't derail me. We have to wrap okay, this up. Sorry. Let's, let's, yes, yes, we yes, cannot yes, do red country dirty. We cannot do okay, red okay. country dirty. This whole po- reason we're back here is to finish red country and we're not talking about i deeply apologize to the listeners and to you charles <laughs> thank you so I've done yes, it again lamb's a great guy he had some good reasons for going back and also this like addiction to violence as well i think was too tempting for him but great character nonetheless and they have this really fascinating like last stand kind of moment which i also feel is a great like western theme where they're like escaped into this house and Casca's just like shooting stuff into the house and they're like moving through the rooms trying to just hold out it's very cinematic i was like this would be a great scene in the movie of like things have gone from crazy and they've down narrowed down 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 to this to this last stand moment and it was just so fun to just watch everything unravel Casca's getting a bit unraveled as well after like the the money was gone oh he has he still has the money at this point i think yeah but, um it, it, it's 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 funny to see Casca like slowly lose his sanity to the point at the end where he's just mm-hmm. totally broken but you get this fun last stand and shine temple decide to come back as well which is also something you don't normally see in Abercrombie's earlier works of this like eleventh right. hour heroic swoop and save the day thing. So Abercrombie's kind of allowing himself to indulge in some of these moments. I feel like because now you have this like carriage chase, this this eleventh hour kind of save. Um, Savian unfortunately dies in the fight, but Lamb is a is a survivor and manages to escape. He's and, always surviving that one. Yeah, there's this interesting twist that um, Conthis, is that how you pronounce it, has yes. been posing as a woman named Corlin who is traveling with Savian. So it's like the leader of this rebel group was hidden by one level. Uh, of hidden intru- in plain sight. Yeah, hidden in plain yeah, sight. She was there. Exactly. I mean, she's, this character is there the whole time. And mm-hmm. I think Abercrombie basically leaned on the portraying uh, portraying it like Conthis was a man so then mm-hmm. no one even could, like considered uh, that it was Corlin or it didn't even come up for them but Corlin showed a lot of signs of being of having leadership qualities of having a lot of strength and this mental fortitude while uh, Savian was kind of the muscle if we really think about it, that's what yeah. he was. He'd just right. go in and so why we assume that the muscle is supposed to be the person in charge is is interesting. It's an old way like of Corlin thinking, is the, Dylan. Yes. This is not like barbarian fantasy times. This is now an age with lawyers yes. and banks and and uh 
IP sponsorship deals. <laughs> like, yeah, the marketer, the marketer in you, Charles, is loving that part. You keep bringing up that stuff. It's like, well, it's just I really like a, that there's intellectual property here. You know? It's just a sign of the times, right? And this is another sign of like, I mean, this was always the case in the first law. It's like they always put like the brutes as the figureheads of being in charge and had the puppet masters in the back. That's been a theme of it. Like, like, like upfront, like popular state, like showing of power is like a fool's errand in the first law world. It's like real power is in obscurity, right? Which is a theme mm. that he's had the whole time. Like the you Baez have it, puppet master thing, yeah. Yeah, because you have like, uh, Baez people like to see the pretty puppets. You, yeah, and you have um, Calder, mm. right? So you have it a few times throughout all of these moments yeah. in first law. And this is just another example. And I, I think that's interesting and there's a lot of truth to it because, I mean, Savian got the raw end of the deal, right? And then you have Corlin being like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Let's, thanks for the gold because the rebels do take the gold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're yes. like, well, we're obviously going to take this. <laughs> and then uh, they flee back to Crease, And then we have that moment with the actor, uh, Lestic, which we talked about in our first episode. And the disheveled Casca and Casca's demise, which we also talked about in the first episode, which there was some poetry to that that we loved. This idea of being killed by a writer that you had brought up, Dylan, I thought was really fascinating that I hadn't considered before. But just to say there was this whole arc with the rebels and there was this really exciting rising action piece of this last stand with lamb and Savian that I thought was exciting. Yeah. And then this carriage chase with shy and temple temple, obviously coming out of his, this whole thing of temple being a self-prescribed coward, right? So the fact that he comes back to try and save the day and is like hopping on this carriage, I even think they try and pull off like a maneuver and they fail at it or something, but it's like, they somehow managed to hold on and survive and the sea shine temple scene. working together. Yeah, it was fun and it was exciting. And then you have Dab Sweet coming in with the horses and all that. Mm -hmm. So it was like all of these moments of excitement that I just thought brought like some of this Western fun into this, into this story. So I, I yeah. think, you know, that's the last piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate bringing those things up, Charles, because it does remind me of this idea that Abercrombie was willing to be a lot more uncynical than usual in his portrayal of a scene like this, just to make it fun, to make it, action-packed of course there is some irony to the uh, savian ends up dying anyway even mm -hmm. though it was kind of to save him and all that stuff but i guess i feel like all not all but a lot of the battle scenes in abercrombie's work and in the past were about making some sort of cynical point about battle or just character focused oh logan ends up killing people that he loves or mm -hmm. something like that goes by nine and kills people that he loves mm -hmm. uh, it was always those kind of things and this feels almost like something that we would get in i mean not exactly the same but something we might get in a john like john gwynn's work or shadow of the gods type thing where there's just bat like a fun scene in the middle of this dark world mm -hmm. and Abercrombie showing that he's moving toward more of this. It's okay to just have scenes designed for this kind of fun action packed right. thing. Mm -hmm. It's he'll still give it his Abercrombie twist, but yes. it was, yeah, it just felt like he let it be fun and not fun in the way that uh, you always describe Abercrombie. Like this is how Abercrombie has fun with the, yeah. which is like the most twisted moments yeah. possible. Yeah. You'll say that Charles. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well that it's like, well, Abercrombie's just having some good old fashioned fun in these yes. moments. And yes. I, I appreciate that about red country. Yes. It's like, Hey, you can have these moments that are just like action movie fun Right. And still deliver on these themes that you're trying to bring home too. It doesn't belittle the grim dark nature of the story you're trying to tell by having these moments of excitement, you know? So like kind of developing both is super fascinating. And that's one of the things I liked most about the story is watching Abercrombie as an author develop and change. And then the risks he's willing to take in the first law universe, like his own intellectual property, right? It's like, I'm going to change everything. Yeah. It's such a bold move. And 
I admire that with him because it's so easy to be like, mm-hmm. oh, the First Law trilogy is insanely popular. I should write First Law 4 with Logan mm-hmm. like back in action doing all these cool things. Yeah. But he was like, creatively, it's time to move on and like what would really happen with these stories. And I think the standalones did that job of like highlighting new perspectives giving recontextualizing what's going on in this first law world recontextualizing some of the themes that we've seen and also introduce this expanded universe of characters and a growing universe as well that's progressing into like a more modern age which for sure it's so admiring like i love wheel of time as well and but 14 books where not much time passes and the world stays Mm. the same is one way to approach it and Abercrombie's like, well, let's have this world advance like 30 years. I think the years, Wheel of Time fans years. are not going to be happy about that one. No, John. I think it's 14 great. 14 books like, where I the would, world stays the I same. I would love to see 14 books them, but... of Abercrombie like in the First Law world in that time period. I would love to okay. read that. And, and I'd like enjoy reading. I don't think Robert Jordan mm. should change to write an Abercrombie style. Gotcha. I'm just comparing and contrasting the differences. Like when you have a I'm, series that you know yeah. is popular, you don't then kill off all the characters and make them all mm. really old and like change the world to a totally different genre of fantasy fiction right. <laughs> it's like it's I a bold you, move but i applaud it you know yeah yeah i guess i was i was trying to placate any wheel of time uh big fans who got to this point in the red country episode who might be like what do you mean like uh 14 books and the world stays the same like all these things happen and i'm like yeah, you're saying the genre ch- yeah you're saying like genre change like yeah, going we don't from like, okay now yeah, Rand we don't is go like from many years old and gray haired yeah. <laughs> and like we're not in his perspective anymore we're in the perspective of someone else who thinks he's like a shy coward because he's given up violence you know when we know him to be a super violent mm. guy you know like those kind of things right, right. it's not that's not what's happening and gotcha that's that makes totally sense, that's totally fine. Like, I love serial stuff and just getting to know these characters in this world. Uh, but that's what makes these creative decisions from Abercrombie, to me, like, stand out. And I feel like an artist no, should just follow wherever their artistic interests lie. Right. And if he wants to write a Western and then write an industrial era thing, like, that's what I'm willing to read. If he wanted to write 14 books sure. in the First Law mm. trilogy setting... I'd love to yeah. read that too. So there's so much I would love to read about those moments right after the end of Buff, uh, Last Argument of Kings. But it, we're, uh, yeah. we're getting these jump forwards instead, which are just as fascinating. So great book. And I agree. I am so excited to get into the Age of Madness. We are just going to mm. we're going to do sharp ends and then yes, we're and going into Age of Madness. I'm pumped for both of those. And let's start it. Sharp Ends, Charles, does a lot of this filling in some moments mm-hmm. that we didn't necessarily get to see, but we know happened at some point it, just by reading all these other books. Right. Like, there's, there's a story about oh, Colonel Glockta and his, right. and his Colonel Glockta days. There's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to give too much away yeah. right now. I'll, I haven't read it there's yet. This moments. is not a spoiler yeah. thing. This takes place... Like this was There's written after Red Country, Red so you're Country, supposed to, you're supposed but to a read lot of stuff like, happens right in between. It fills in some gaps because right. there are there are at least like very deep spoilers for Best Served Cold, I think, in mm. Sharp Ends and. I'm trying to think. If there's others, so I I w- I do recommend if any folks are are listening to this and they haven't read Sharp Ends, which it does feel like a lot of people skip over Sharp Ends, but it's incredible short stories mm-hmm. and. I'll say I highly recommend checking out Sharp Ends at the point that you've already read through the standalones and the original right. trilogy. And in terms of yeah, like publication yeah. dates, it publication comes out order, after Red yeah. Country and before Age yep. of Madness, right? So that's yep. how we're going to read it as well. And I'm super excited to get into that. But for now, Dylan, have we um, brought redemption to Red Country? Have we said it all? <laughs> we didn't do anyone I, dirty, did we? I... <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to leave that to the listeners, and you'll let them know <laughs> hey, where we'll they do can. A part three, no problem. We can talk about that. If, yeah, demand it. <laughs> if you if you think there's, but let us know what things you want to hear, because obviously we could we could talk about Abercrombie forever. Mm-hmm. You 
folks have probably realized that. I, I, who knows how many like hours of Abercrombie talk we've a released lot. at this point. But <laughs> probably almost, I'd say around 20, I would say. <laughs> oh, it's got to be way more, I would think. Probably 20? six books, and then we've done like five character Character studies. profiles, yeah. and then... And the episodes are usually longer An than... An hour plus, yeah. Yeah, and we do a bunch of these two. We did two parts for Last Argument oh, of Kings. Yeah, we, we did, did a bunch of two did parts. Did we do two parts for Best Serve Cold, too? I think we, we did. I think we did, yeah. Yeah, and so, then we did, like, the first law character matchup. I'm just saying, it's been a lot of Abercrombie talking, and we still... Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, it, so if you really want... Just let us know. Like, yeah, let us I know. know we what appreciated things you actually the want. Feedback, we, the we first talk one about we forever. knew yeah. we were we like yeah. rushing through Red Country on the first one. But it's like we talked about Lamb, Shy, you know, right. uh, Costco. So we hit the heavy hitters. But there's all these other beautiful moments that we now got to explore in depth. So I'm yeah. super happy that we did it. And I'm super excited for you guys to listen to it. And it sets the stage nicely for Sharp Ends, which we will be reading very soon. Yes. Comment on the Twitter episode announcement that we post. Uh, what yeah, you, that's a great way. Yeah, to like that's up. a good, right. At the I feel FTF like Podcast 1. Where we, yeah, at the FTF Podcast 1. I always post an episode announcement the day of our uh, of our episode releases. Mm-hmm. And, and there's one, uh, you could do it at the FTF Podcast at Instagram as well. Like just, I feel like that's a good thing. Like have them... Yeah. Uh, comment on those posts which is like a centralized location for them to say the things they want from in relation to that specific episode exactly Mm -hmm. yes yeah because they did it i guess they were starting to do it anyway so i'm like oh that's really smart (laughs) right it is smart and now that we're starting to get into the plug area of the end of the show here is there anything we want to say (laughs) about red country before we play that outro music and finish all that good old plugging stuff it's my favorite of the standalones. I'm sorry that <laughs> the rest of the community doesn't feel as strongly, but yeah. they're all great and everyone's entitled to their own. It's a own great book. I don't think it's my three. favorite, but it's yeah. great. It's I like great. the hopefulness. Like I like that just it feels so earned after reading the like five books of more straightforward grim like I it's gotten less grim dark with basically every I think or it just this feels like a, a turning point. It's I guess, definitely right? a turning like point a turning for point. sure. And that's a and great reason that. to yeah. to to signal it. I think I just like yeah. I think the heroes to me is a good balance of mm. like what I love about the First Law trilogy and like where Abercrombie's trying to go. And it was exciting and contained. I feel like Red Country, as progressive as it was, it was like a lot more. And then also we were, you know, cutting away forwards and there's a lot of these frontier moments and things so it's like i get it and it may just be because we've read like six books in a row i'm getting like progressively more on the burnt out end of things but it was a fantastic book nonetheless but i can see why it's not a crowd favorite and people don't want to see logan that way people want to see logan as first law yeah (laughs) people do there are yeah there are folks who i've seen comment things (laughs) about this was the final straw for me with logan and i really wanted him to get redemption and i feel like he didn't or they he think was like that the whole time. he did and the, yeah it's yeah that's kind of my my yeah, yeah. well <laughs> I, I agree yes. but yeah, yeah everyone's entitled comment if you disagree you're welcome to comment on that episode announcement post so yeah, yeah. i love red country I, I mean, you can't go wrong. It's like no, it's yeah, like pick exactly. your favorite flavor of ice cream, and yeah. they're all going to be delicious. If yes. you, you know that yes. kind of thing between the three standalones, like are you a, a military fantasy person? Then the heroes. Are you yeah. a revenge story Kill Bill fan? Then best served cold. And if you're a Western person, which maybe I am, everyone like Ed Ed Gwynn keeps uh, telling me to read Lonesome Dove, and I will. <laughs> so, I did I mention on the podcast I, I a doctor also. Told, I think I mentioned when we were talking to I think so. Gwyn, I yeah. was like, yeah, I had a doctor tell me to also read Lonesome Dove, which is a big inspiration. You did mention it on the Crombie. episode we had them on, yeah. which came out a few weeks yeah, ago. Like, Guys, check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Lonesome Dove, if you love Red Country, is apparently like a Western that Abercrombie's very inspired by. So mm-hmm. oh, I haven't read it, but Ed Gwynn keeps telling me to read it. And that is, uh, I, you know, I take his word much more seriously than mine. So uh, it's... Uh, yeah, great wreck, I bet, and I can't wait to check that out. Okay, I'm done talking, Charles. You great. So, without any further delay, let's go ahead and get that outro music going, guys. 
Yes. Thank you, everyone, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, guys, reach out to us on Twitter over at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end and Instagram at the FTF Podcast. And as we were mentioning, guys, those episode announcements are a great place to leave feedback. We're very active there. Uh, and we always try and respond and react to everyone that, that comments on those. So that's a great place for discourse. Uh, Dylan, mm. if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even further than following us on social media and interacting with our posts, what else can they do? And they're listening on Apple Podcasts also. Did I mention oh, that? Yes, you must. Yeah. <laughs> Toss five stars to our podcast. Yes. <laughs> Just find that Friends Talking Fantasy page on the Apple Podcast app. Click the Friends Talking Fantasy page and scroll down past all those episodes until you start seeing stars. Once you're seeing stars, the optimal number of stars to click in order to support the show would be five of them. If you got a little bit of extra time, then writing a review is even more helpful for a podcast like ours. And we, I, I feel like I go through the motions sometimes. It's like we super duper appreciate those. Like yes. if you write a yes. review, I will read it. I'll be super happy. I'll <laughs> like, I will be like, yes, this is awesome. Thank you so much. That's yes. like a big thing. So we're, huge. but just listening more than enough. We're super grateful. Just listening. That is huge as well, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us finally uh do good by the rest of red country really appreciate you listening and as always go forth and conquer friends